Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We are continuing our series today called Rivers. Look at somebody and say, you got a river inside of you. You got a river inside of you, if you need to tell that other person. And we're basically studying John chapter 7 and John chapter 4 is kind of where we're spending most of our time in this series. We don't really know how long this series is going to go on, maybe like, I don't know, like 12 weeks or something. Probably won't go on that long, but uh, I was actually thinking about this morning. How long are we going to go? But I really feel like that this is a, a shifting message for us, so we're just, we're just going to take our time, and we're going to just really uh, kind of trust the Lord with this. But in John chapter 7, Jesus makes this statement. Again, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. He says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Aren't you glad that you are anyone? Aren't you glad that you are a somebody? And so anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, your Bible might have a different word there for heart. It might say uh, out of his utmost being or might say from within him. But the word that we studied out in Greek is actually the same word that is used in the, in the New Testament for womb. And so he's saying basically out of your womb will flow rivers out of the life-giving place of your body. You will flow rivers of living water. And he, when he said living water, verse 39, he was speaking of the Spirit. He wasn't talking about you. He was talking about the Spirit of God that would flow out of you. When you come to Jesus, you drink from the river, right? When, when we drink of Jesus, the river takes over. And so that's what happens when we come to the Lord. We looked a little bit at Ezekiel chapter 47 where it talks about uh, this vision and how this the, the temple was there. And out of the temple came this mighty river. And, and the further you went down the river, the deeper it got where you couldn't even stand it anymore that you just had to swim. And there was all kinds of life in the river and along the banks of the river. And we're believing that this is a prophetic symbol of what we're, we're stepping into as followers of Christ. We are stepping into this river, but we're not, just, we're not just stepping into the river. The river is actually coming out of our life, just as Jesus said. And then last week, we got into the story about this woman. Uh, many people call her the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. And that story is in John chapter 14. And it's a story about a woman who is a Samaritan and Jews did not associate with Samaritans. It was also inappropriate for Jews to talk to women in public, which is kind of crazy. And so here's Jesus breaking racial and social barriers in the world that he's living in to give this woman a drink. We find out not only is she a Samaritan who Jesus shouldn't be talking to, a woman who Jesus shouldn't be talking to, but we find out that she's an extremely immoral woman that Jesus is talking to, but Jesus says, hey, come to me and drink, and I'm going to put a river inside of you, and this is what it says in John chapter 4, 14, if anyone drinks of the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. So when we drink from Jesus, he puts in us a river. And, it, and I want to continue that narrative today about this woman. Jesus is having a conversation with her. She's freaking out. She says, Jesus, you're a prophet. That has a lot of implications to it. And it says this in verse 19, John chapter 4. Are you with me? Yes. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are... A prophet. Now, again, Jesus just brought up the fact that she's, the guy she's living with, she's not even married to, and she's got five husbands before that. And so most theologians believe that she is probably a prostitute, the Samaritan woman. And so she says, sir, I see that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And then it says in verse 21 that Jesus declared. Now, Jesus didn't just kindly say, but Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. See, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, notice that Jesus didn't say salvation is for the Jews. And part of the reason why the Jewish people missed it is they, could, they thought salvation was just for the Jews. But Jesus was, was saying, hey, it's not for the Jews. The Jews are included. It's for everyone, but it's from the Jews because I'm a Jew, right? So salvation is from, from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, what is he saying? He's saying, hey, it's not really about where you worship. What matters is that you have a lifestyle of worship, that your heart is honoring the Lord, that you're honoring the Lord in spirit and in truth and in reality. And the woman said, I know that, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. The, you've been searching for the Messiah. You've been hearing about the Messiah, but I'm here to tell you today, I am the Messiah. And at just this time, now if you remember, Jesus is alone with this woman, shady Jesus. And his disciples were off eating. It was lunchtime. And they come back with lunch. And then they show up, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking to her? Then, verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way to him. Now, in, in the narrative, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples at this point. But I want you to see what happens with this woman. It says in verse 39 that many of the Samaritans... From that town, again, she goes back to her hometown. She starts telling them about Jesus. Many believe that this was the first revival that the church ever experienced. This woman, this immoral Samaritan woman, the, the woman, the person that was most disqualified, God uses her to go back and people start coming to Jesus because of this woman. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because of the woman's testimony. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. You know, you came to Jesus because of somebody's testimony. Because of somebody else's story, that opened the door for you to come to Jesus, if you've come to Jesus. But how many of you have shared your testimony with somebody? What does your testimony look like? See, her, her testimony before was well known. In fact, that's why she was the, at the well at lunchtime, right? She thought nobody would be there. But now she has a different story. She used to be an immoral woman. Now she has a different story. Now she has a story that she drank, that she had a conversation with this man that told her everything, uh, everything in her life. He told her that, and she drank from that river. Now she was becoming a well. Now she was becoming a portable well, going back to her city, declaring, and it says, because of her testimony. What is your testimony like? What is your story? What are you most known for? What evidence in your life do you have that reflects Jesus? See, that's what a testimony is. A testimony is basically a witness with evidence. 
You're a witness with evidence. You are someone who has experienced something and you have evidence to prove it. Do you have evidence in your life? Do you have a testimony in your life? Is there evidence in your life that Jesus is, in fact, alive and real and gives living water? Is it in your life? Do you have that? Is your lifestyle cause people to come to Jesus or to turn from Jesus? I've known, I've known a lot of people, their lifestyle has caused people to have a bad taste in their mouth towards Jesus. Unfortunately, a lot of times in the church, that is our testimony. People don't want to associate with Jesus because they're unwilling to associate with the church. But I believe in this hour that we are going to drink from that river, that we're going to become that well. And people, many people will come to Jesus because of you, because of what God's doing in your life. Amen? Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came, so here they are, they're leading this revival. She's like, come see the man. And then they urged him to stay with him for two days. So they're like, hey, Jesus, could you, would, you just, would you just stay here? Can we just listen to your teaching for a couple days? He's like, sure, let's do it. So we did. Verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We loved your story. We loved your testimony. But we also, now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. Do you have a testimony? Has God done something in your life? Man, I've been in the ministry for a long time, and I've seen a lot of people, and I would ask them, so, man, what's your story? How did you come to the Lord? And usually, unfortunately, a lot of times it's something like this. Well, you know, I started going to church at an early age, or I started going to church at this time. I'm glad that you've had a great experience with church, but where is Jesus in that? Because many times we've had conversations with people, and it's like church, and my life kind of changed, and I stopped doing this and started doing that. But what about Jesus? What is your story? Did you have an encounter with Jesus? Did you drink from this river of living water? Did Jesus bring the transformation, or did you just add some changes to your life? Did you start just changing the activity, or did you meet a person? So, Jesus encounters this woman, refreshes her with the living water. He rebuilds her. We talked about that last week, that Jesus doesn't repair the broken. He rebuilds the broken. So, Jesus rebuilds this woman and makes her basically into a portable well. And she's going around. She's sharing the gospel. Now, history tells us, uh, if you will study Catholic history, if you'll study Orthodox history, a lot, of, a lot of the people that have basically the history of the church, you'll find out that this woman in those circles are, is, is regarded with as much authority and as much power as the apostles. They consider her an apostle. In fact, there's days that are celebrated for St. Fotina. There's churches all over the world named St. Fotina. Why? It is this woman at the well who drank from that living water. Can I tell you today that she expanded her boundaries, that she expanded her borders. She went out of her city and she went to Carthage, Africa and led led a revival in Africa where many people came to the Lord. Then she sailed on a a ship and went to Rome where Nero was king. And if you know anything about Nero, Nero is probably, probably one of the most sadistic leaders leaders of the, of the world of all time. And so she sails there, and she's leading a revival at that time in Rome, and she gets arrested. And what does she do when Nero arrests her? She shares the gospel with him. So here's this woman that life is pouring out of her. She's leading people. She's, she's got five, uh, I believe, five daughters and two sons. So here she is, man. Life is pouring out of her. 
So when she's there, she shares the gospel with Nero, and Nero has her arrested. And many of the people around her were dying. you got to understand that it, in, in those days, and still today, in a lot of parts of the world, martyrdom is a very real thing, still today. In fact, more people have been killed over the past hundred years for their faith than, than the thousands of years before that. And so here she is. She's taken before Nero. He arrests her. And there's a, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of conflicting reports on the history. But what we do know is that at the end of her life, that, that she was tortured, that she was beaten, she was arrested, and she was thrown in. Get this. She was thrown in to an abandoned well. That's how her life ends. This woman, Saint Fotina, the, the name Fotina, Christina told me this last week. She said in, in Spanish, the word Tina is, is vessel, is vessel. Here's this vessel. Her whole story changed. Now she's a vessel for Jesus. She, she dies in a vessel. This woman. Jesus rebuilded her. Jesus expanded her. The li- Listen, the borders in her life were moved. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about how rivers move borders. So we see her heart. The borders of her heart were expanded. Then we see even her physical borders were expanded as she goes into the, into the world and declares the gospel. Did you know that rivers move borders? Uh, m- most of you all know this, but, but I spent 11 years in El Paso uh, doing ministry there. My wife was, is from El Paso. And... Uh, we, uh, when I was there, they have a park called Chamizal. Chamizal is like a Chamizal. So I was got to say it just right. And uh, so my Hispanic friends can make fun of my terrible accent. And so they have this park called the Chamizal. It's like 600 acres. And there's, you know, like an amphitheater. And it's, it's beautiful. It's, it, but really what it is, is a national monument. Because in the, uh, in the 1800s, the mid-1800s, there was a lot of conflict on the border. Okay, between Mexico and the U.S., because what was happening is the river would move. And when the river would move, it would cause disputes and conflicts between the U.S. and, and Mexico. And so what would happen is, is this border would move, and they would say, well, that's our land. It's not anymore because the river's moved. Now it's our land. Now it's our land. So they it's had all this drama, decades of drama going back and forth. Why? Because rivers move borders. And so the, the, bit, the, the, the river was moving. The border was, was moving. In fact, in the, in the mid-1800s, over a span of 21 years, it moved by 600 acres. Significant. It's not just like, oh, it just moved a little bit. But listen, can I tell you today that rivers move Borders and, and so what they did in 1964 is there was an agreement, a treaty made between the U.S. and Mexico where they decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to decide where the river goes. So they brought concrete in and they brought this this space where this park is. That for miles they put in this concrete barrier so the river couldn't move anymore. And that got me thinking. You know, so many people have done that with God. They've done that with the borders of their heart. They said, you know what? I will not allow God to move in to my territory. So I'm going to put something here. I'm going to put a blockade up. I'm going to put some cement. I'm going to get my heart, my heart hard a little bit. So no more moving in my life. And I've seen people do this year after year as I've been in the ministry. People say, man, God, you can do that. You can do that in my life, but you're not going to do this. You're not going to touch me here. You can, you can have everything else, Lord, but you're not going to have this. But can I tell you today that rivers move borders. 
And God wants to move. He wants to break the barriers. He wants to, he wants to come in and take over the territory of your heart, the territory of your life. He expands us. There's a, a story in Luke chapter 5 where the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're challenging him. They're saying, why don't your disciples fast? We fast all the time. We're so holy, right? You know, Jesus always had these conflict with the religious people because they were all about the list, right? And not just the list of the law, but all the things that they've added onto the list. And they were making sure they were going, Jesus, you're not, you're not following the list, Jesus. You're not following the list. In fact, your disciples don't even, why aren't they fasting and why aren't they praying? Why aren't they doing things our way? And so Jesus confronts them and he says this, no one, Luke 5, 37, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skin. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. So now you've got ruined wine and ruined wineskins. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old was better. And Jesus was saying, you religious people, you think the old is better. But I've got a new wine for you, but you've got to get a new skin to contain it. So Jesus, what did he do? Jesus fulfilled the law. He gave a new skin. And Jesus initiated a new covenant. Ezekiel talks about that new covenant. The covenant is this, that I will write my law on their hearts. See, the old covenant was written on stones, but the new covenant is written on hearts. One is life-giving. The other one is stale. One is hard. The other is soft. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants you to be, to be in such a way so tender before him that you're allowing that living thing to be shaped by his life. See, one of the, one of the things about, about wineskins is this. Is wineskins w- w- was a, a, p- a piece of leather that had been sewn, to, uh, sewed in such a way or even sometimes the stomach of an animal. And what they would do is that it was when wine was being made. How many know that, that you can't make wine in like a day? You don't just crush grapes and have wine. No, there's a process called fermentation. And what fermentation is is mic- microorganisms inside that grape juice that begins to agitate the grape juice, and over time, because the wine is living, it will expand. And the fermentation actually makes it be just a little bit of wine to a lot more wine. So when they would put old wine, try to save a little money, try to be a little bit more convenient, we'll already have a wine skin that's put in there. When they put that wine in there and that fermentation, that life starts to happen, it breaks apart. So the wine's no good. And the wine skin's no good. So Jesus brings this message saying you must be born again. You gotta have a new wine skin. You gotta have a new capacity. You don't just pour wine into what you're already doing. I'm gonna give you, I've got something so supernatural and so life giving, you're gonna have to have a new capacity to be able to carry it. So he says, you're gonna be born again. You're gonna be a new wine skin. I'm gonna put that wine in you and it's gonna expand. Well, the reason why wine skins are so important is because wine skins are able to expand, they're flexible. But what I found out about a lot of us is that we're not very flexible. We're not very expandable. We want the new wine, but we ain't willing to tra- change us. We ain't willing to get the new wine skin so that, that the Holy Spirit can live and move and be active in our life. Paul gives us another illustration in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He, make, he makes this statement. I, I would encourage you. I'm not going to put it all here. We, we have, there's a lot to cover today. But in 2 Corinthians, I'd, I'd encourage you this week to read this. And again, Paul is dealing a little bit with the contrast between the law and the spirit. And he says this 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, you are a letter from Christ. One translation says, you are an epistle. You're the Bible that people are reading. Do you know that? Your testimony, your life is the Bible that people don't read the Bible. A lot of, a lot of people that call themselves Christians don't even read the Bible anymore. But did you know that you, sometimes that you are the only Bible that people ever read? So he says this, you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, not written with ink, but with the Spirit. <laughs> that good? The Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets made of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. But on tablets of human hearts, living things to facilitate the living one. See, the, the, the tablets of stone speaks of the law. And he goes into this. He's, he starts talking about the law and how it was written on stone. And he said, man, the, the law was glorious. The law was, the law was perfect. It was great, but it fulfilled its purpose. And, and Moses, what happened when God gave Moses the law, he climbs up to Mount Sinai. God reveals himself to him, gives him the law, and he has such an encounter with God that his face was beaming with light. I always like to say that it had a noise. It was like, bing! Right? He encounters the Lord, and it's like, if you adjust your ears just right, you can hear the bing. And so here he is beaming with light. And when he comes off the mountain, the, the children of Israel are freaking out. They're like, man, what happened? I'm looking at his face. Whoa. But what happened, they noticed something, is that glory began to fade. So they said, man, we better cover that up, or people aren't going to think Moses is legit. So it says this in verse 13. We are not like Moses who had to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it when the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, when the same, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read, it has not been removed. Because only in Christ is it taken away. So he takes the veil away. Then it says this, verse 15. Even to this day when Moses is read... A veil covers their heart. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, when anyone drinks of Jesus, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When anyone drinks of Jesus, the cap of the well is taken off. When we drink of Jesus, the river takes over. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not freedom to sin, freedom from sin. And we who with unveiled faces. Now, we don't have to put a veil on our face anymore. Why? Because we don't have a glory that's fading. We all reflect the Lord's glory, and we are being transformed into his likeness. Did you know that when you came to Jesus, you started a process of becoming more like Jesus? I've met a lot of people that were a lot more like Jesus in the beginning than they are now. They have a fading glory, which tells me that they don't spend time with Jesus anymore. See, I, I was taught when, when I came to the Lord in the early 90s, we had church three times a week. Some of y'all, some of y'all struggle to do that in a month. I mean, some people just do that every year, you know, Christmas, Easter, and then, you know, some other time that they get convicted or something, right? It's like, oh, Christmas, Easter, I'm kind of a and e guy, right? Christmas, Easter, and, you know, maybe the second Sunday in January, <laughs> you know. And uh, I remember they taught us so much, and I hope I teach you this. Get in the Bible. Read your Bible. Spend time in prayer. Nurture your relationship with Jesus. This is what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow. The glory will grow. 
It won't fade. And so I did. In fact, I was reading my Bible and praying before I even got saved. I discovered, I learned of Jesus by digging into the Word and praying every night. I would just start doing that. I was finally, I was just like, okay, Lord, I give up. It's all you. I'll drink, right? And so my life was totally transformed. And I believe that I'm way more like Jesus than I was when I came to the Lord when I was 18 years old in the early 90s. Way, way, way more like Jesus. I know more. I've experienced more. I'm closer to the Lord. But I can tell you, if I just had that experience and I didn't do anything with it, and I didn't nurture that experience with the Lord, the glory would fade. Well, how do you keep the glory from fading? You just, you get before the glory. You stay in the glory. So he says this. He says, we're being transformed into his likeness. So I'm being more, I'm not like Jesus yet, but I'm more like him than I was. Right? And so that's the important thing, right? It's not that how much you are like Jesus right now. The, 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 where are you at in the process? As long as you're in the process, right? Because you might not be, you might be like, well, I'm not like Jesus at all. I like Jesus, but yeah, we're pretty different. But are, are you on your way? Are you being transformed into his likeness? And then it says this, with ever increasing glory. Some translations say from glory to glory. So we didn't receive a glory that fades. We received a glory that increases. It actually gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And it says, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Who is spirit. So the spirit of God is what causes you to look more like Jesus. Are you nurturing your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Are you remaining flexible so that it can increase? Because most of us, we max our capacity. And I've seen a lot of people, they max that capacity like in the first two weeks. They come to the Lord, boom, that's it. Boom. Maybe a year. And then it fades. And then they spend the rest of their Christian life trying to maintaining, maintain that which faded. Beloved, be flexible. Blessed are the flexible, for they won't get bent out of shape. Right? Blessed are the flexible, for they can receive new wine. So how do we remain flexible? How do we remain expandable? How do we go with the flow? Two things today. Number one, direction. By following his direction. I mean, you know, the river flows a certain direction. Right? The river, the river doesn't flow north sometimes and south sometimes. No, the river flows the same direction all the time. Are you following the direction? Are you following the current of the Holy Spirit? John chapter 16, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Glory. All truth. Not just some truth, all truth. He will not speak of his own, but he will tell you of what he has heard. How many know that what is on God's mind is already inside of you through the Holy Spirit? Well, I just don't know God. I feel so distant from God. Do you have the Holy Spirit? I think so. Do you, uh, let me ask you another question. Is your life yielded to Jesus? Yes. Well, then you have the Holy Spirit. Then you have full access. You have full access to what's on God's mind. Full access. Because the veil's taken away. You, didn't know what he said right there? All truth. He will tell you what he knows from the Father. We go, oh. So what we do is we don't like something. <laughs> We don't understand something. We go, oh, God's just mysterious. Yeah, absolutely. God is mysterious, but not a mystery, a mystery that's hiding. A mystery that's saying, hey, I'm mysterious. Come find. Come discover me. I've got a lot to show you. Let's go deeper. Ever-increasing glory, okay? Are you following his direction? 
Galatians 5.25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading. Are you following the Spirit's leading? Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Not just your church life. Come on, not just your family life. Yes, both. Your work life. Are you, did you know, I, I believe, whatever it is that you do, we, we kind of have this weird thing where we kind of like glorify like people that are like in full-time ministry, which I guess you could say that I am, although I do other things. And so we're like, man, that's like, so people get serious about God and what we do, we say, well, they need to be in full-time ministry. Did you know that if you were a Christian, you were in full-time ministry, period. You're already in full-time ministry. What does your ministry look like? Well, I, I'm not, I sell cars. You're in full-time ministry. In fact, you're, I would say this, you're really more in the ministry than I am. I'm really an equipment manager. I'm just here to kind of help you out so you can go and figure out how to lead people to Jesus while you're selling them a car. You're in the ministry. What you're doing is credible. What you do matters. So follow the Spirit's leading in whatever you do. So I believe this. I believe because you can know all things. I believe because you are following the Spirit's leading that you can be the very best car salesman. Because you know who knows all things. I believe God will give you prophetic words to excel at your quote-unquote secular job. Which there's no such thing as a secular job if you're there. It just became a Christian job because you're there. <laughs> just became a kingdom job because you're there. Because you bring the kingdom, right? Okay. When we talk about wine, what are we speaking of? We're speaking of influence, right? Fermentation influences people, <laughs> right? Some people drink because of the influence, some people limit their drinking because of their influence. You should limit your drinking because of the influence. That's not the influence you want. Are you being influenced by the Holy Ghost? Are you functioning under a different nature? This is what we learn about the river. The river decides where the border lies. The river decides. See, that, that border that we talked about that Tommy saw, the river decided where the border was. The U.S. didn't decide. Mexico, in fact, they were frustrated. They said, we're going to decide where the river lies. Well, that ain't really the river anymore. You just created a channel. So you think that's the way the river moves, but that ain't the way the river moves. You just created a model that you're more comfortable with. And people do this with God all the time. So if you want to really have life in the Spirit, Understand that the river decides where the border lies. So are you letting the river decide? Or are you saying, nah, 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 whoa, not there, Jesus. Why don't you give a little bit more of worship in me today? Oh, why don't you give a little more money today? Oh, not there, Jesus. I want you to go talk to that person over there that's hurting. Oh, but Lord, nah, not today, Jesus. What are you doing? You're You're deciding. No, no, no. Let the river decide where the border lies. See, you can flow with the river or you can stay, you can flow with the river or you can stay put and miss out. Because that's exactly what you'll do. You'll miss out. How many of you have ever heard of a little town called Rodney, Mississippi? Anybody ever heard of that? First people are in first service probably had. No? Well, the reason why you haven't heard of Rodney, Mississippi is because it doesn't exist anymore. But at one time. In the 1800s, Rodney, Mississippi, it was called the Territory of Mississippi at that time, was, was three votes away from becoming the capital city of 
Mississippi. How many of y'all have heard of Jackson, Mississippi? Oh, yeah, we all know that. You learned that in grade school, maybe. Maybe. Right? Only thing I know about Mississippi is am I crooked, letter crooked, right? So you have Mississippi, you have Jackson, Mississippi, but at one time it could have been Rodney. Rodney, Mississippi at one time was, was the main crossing point of the mighty Mississippi. We, we went on vacation a couple of years ago and we passed some, uh, the, the Mississippi. I kept calling it the mighty Mississippi. Here's the mighty Mississippi. He's like, will you quit, please quit saying that? It's like Mississippi's already a mouthful and you're out of mighty too. So it was a major crossing point, this town Rodney. It was a, it was a hub for the military and for commerce. It was, it was a booming town. People were moving from all over the country to go to Rodney, Mississippi. It's three votes away from becoming the capital of Mississippi. But something happened. Something happened to Rodney. You know what happened? Actually, it didn't happen to Rodney. The river just changed. The river moved. And guess what Rodney did? Rodney stayed. Rodney didn't follow the river. You can go where Rodney used to be. There's churches. There's houses. But it's a ghost town. Nobody lives there. There's no life in Rodney anymore. Why? Because they didn't move where the river moved. They didn't stay by the river. And this is the thing. The river may move. Are you following his lead? Are you following his lead? Because the only way that you're going to get life is if you stay by the river. Or you can be a place where life once resided. Uh, And sadly, there's a lot of people that I know, and all they have in their life of their relationship with God is where life used to be. I remember, I remember in 1993, I've shared some of these stories. Man, I came into a church, and God was moving. And there were people in that church, and all they could talk about was what the river used to look like. And they were bitter, and they were frustrated, and they were old. And I was like, what is happening? They're like, because God used to move that way. Rodney, it's time to move. It's time to move where the river is. Will you move where the river is? So, direction. Are you following his direction? Number two, the second way that we stay expandable or flexible is through correction. Now, correction oftentimes is the form of direction, right? A lot of times the way that God directs us is by correcting us. He's correcting our course. Are you allowing him to correct your course? See, we call him the comforter because oftentimes it will be uncomfortable. So you have to depend on him for comfort. I want to say this to you today. I want to submit this to you today. Correction is affirmation. Correction is not rejection. Did you know when your boss corrects you, he's not rejecting you? He's trying to help you be better? I guarantee you the job that you're working at, your boss wants you to do good because you reflect him. Do you know that God corrects you? He's not correcting you because he's mad at you or ticked off or because he's a cosmic killjoy. No, he's correcting you because he has better for you. But we, for some reason, are so married to ourselves and so married to our own ideas that when correction comes, we're so prideful. We say, no, I know how to do it. I'm 18 years old. How many are glad you're out of that phase? Well, one of the best things that ever happened to me is when I realized I didn't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Correction is affirmation. John 15, verse 2, he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. So the Lord may come to you and say, you know what? I want you to stop doing that. 
And you're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. He's like, I know, but I want you to stop because I want you to be more fruitful. Or I want you to start doing this. But, Lord, if I do that, then I'm going to have to say no to this. I want you to do it. Uh, no. And you don't produce any more fruit. Why? Because you haven't allowed the Lord to prune you. You haven't allowed, Now, when we talk about the Lord correcting you, it doesn't mean, like, you start getting headaches. Oh, it's because I, I have sin in my life or because I didn't obey the Lord. That's nonsense. Get rid of that. They, I wouldn't do that to my kids. Okay, I want you to start. When you mow the grass, I want you to mow straight lines like this. I want you to look down, make sure your lines are straight. Oh, you didn't. You didn't mow the line straight. Cancer. You didn't mow the line straight. Headaches. But we think God's like that. God's punishing me. Listen, understand there's a big difference between punishment and correction. Big difference. And sometimes the Spirit of God says no. Sometimes he just says no. Sometimes he says no to good things. You were doing something good. Hey, it could be good. It could benefit me. And sometimes he just says no. And sometimes in his no, he's just testing your willingness. Understand this. We need to rejoice when the Holy Spirit tells us no. We need to rejoice because every time we say no, it opens us up to a bigger yes. So when he says no, we need to rejoice. That's easy for me to say right now. Because when he tells me no, I'm like, uh, no. I'm like, no, you mean yes, right? Listen, he corrects us because we're his. I don't correct your kids. I mean, if I was working in kids' area or something, I might correct them. But I don't, I don't, I don't correct your kids. Why? Because they're not my kids. That's your job. I might correct you because you're not correcting your kids. Some of y'all, we're going to have a meeting here in a little bit. Let's go to lunch. All right. But I don't correct your kids. Why? Because they're not mine. You correct your kids. Why do you correct your kids? Because they're yours, and you care about them. And you want them to do well. See, God only corrects those he loves. Look, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My, chil- my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he's mad at? No, in whom he delights. I love you. Let's quit doing that. Notice, notice that when God corrects us, he's doing it out of, out of a delighted heart. He's not doing it out of an angry heart. He's not like us that fail so many times in our parenting, we parent out of anger. God doesn't parent out of anger. He parents out of delight. And let me say this. He doesn't condemn us, but he does correct us. So if you're feeling condemnation, and let me say this about condemnation. Condemnation and conviction feel the same. Right? That's why whenever you... You get corrected at work, you're like, why are you judging me, right? We kind of have that attitude when people correct us. Or when the Lord corrects us, we feel condemnation and conviction can feel the same. The difference is that condemnation leaves you in shame. Conviction never leaves you the same. And so when we feel the conviction, we say, oh, Lord, yes, gladly I give it up. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4.30. Do not. Bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. <laughs> Do you know that you have the ability to bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way that you live? But look what he says. Remember. Remember this. Don't forget this. He has identified you 
as his own. The reason why he's correcting you is because you're his. Correction is affirmation. And understand when the Holy Spirit is correcting you, when he's affirming you, he is also inviting you to something. You will never regret. Baby, you can go ahead and come up. You will never regret obeying the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Never. But I can tell you, I've been doing this thing for a long time. 26 years I've been serving the Lord. And there's been a lot of times I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to do something. I didn't do it. A lot of times. I always regret those things. Because I'm thinking, what if I would have obeyed? What would have happened? You know what? Maybe nothing would have happened, but at least I would have been yielded. At least I would have been yielded. Beloved, you will never regret responding to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. And some of you have the opportunity right now to respond to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. And in that nudging is saying, would you come and do